what is off the groove? It means you've blown the line or you're pushing the limits a little bit too far or just maybe you might be looking for a faster way around the racetrack. Off the Groove with Scotty Dubler. 153 days until the Daytona TT. Welcome everyone and congratulations on making it through another flat track season. It is the end of my 10th season with American Flat Track. Wow. We'll get to the finale and the banquet talk here shortly, but first I gotta introduce you to somebody. You heard a voice at the end of our last episode. There are a few folks who may have recognized that voice, but most of you have no idea who the hell it is. Well, let's change that. I met this guy at the start of the 2016 season in Daytona. He came on board with American Flat Track as the fan's choice producer. At first glance, he was just another guy from the NASCAR world who knew nothing about flat track. I could tell he was excited about the opportunity, and after working with him for just a few weeks, I knew he'd been bitten by the flat track bug and would definitely be a lifetime fan. We spent two years traveling the country, bringing fans live event content each race weekend. One of my favorite memories was Arizona weekend back in 2017. He walked up to Bubba and I said, come on boys, let's go for a walk. Little did I know those walks would turn to my favorite part of race day, the pit walks. At the end of the 2017 season, we decided to start this podcast. There are several reasons why we did it, but neither of us had any idea it would become what it is today. You may have only heard my voice for the first 40 plus episodes, but he's been just as big a part of this as I have. He produces, records, edits, posts, and maintains the social pages for the podcast. And starting today, he'll be joining me as the co-host. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my privilege to introduce to you my partner, Mr. Chris Carter. I'll just call him Carter. Hey, man. Hey, Scotty. What's going on, man? Well, I'm going to tell everybody it's just Carter. So from here on out, it's just Carter. Yeah, you can call me whatever you want. I'll pretty much answer to anything. How am I going to live up to that introduction? Well, we'll have to see. I mean, we've I've been doing this for 40 episodes by myself, so you've got some big shoes to fill. Setting the bar pretty high. I've been there for those 40 episodes, so we'll be good. But just the hidden in the background, the nobody guy, knows yeah, who you the are. Behind the curtain. They think they think I just magically do this all by myself. You do do this by yourself. You, you said do 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 do. <laughs> What's going on, man? Nothing, man. Just uh, glad to be home uh, from a long weekend. It was it a long seem weekend. Real that this. The season's already over. It I can't is. believe it. 2018 in the books. 18 races done. It's crazy. That was a Son. long weekend, though. It was a long weekend. I got there Friday morning. I uh, had a good afternoon. Went to the track. Had some meetings Friday night. Got to check out the, the facility. It was beautiful. And uh, and then Saturday morning, I was right back out there early. And a uh, long day. Um, the, the, the racing was great. The, the facility was just beautiful. It's the first ever Grand National in the state of New Jersey, and I don't think anybody really realized that. I started digging up, looking at my notes. I actually got a hold of Burt Sumner. I was like, hey, we were raced to Grand National in New Jersey. He said, nope. So the first ever Grand National in New Jersey was awesome. Uh, the track was beautiful. The facility was awesome. It was right there in the same parking lot as MetLife Stadium. It was insane, man. I, I actually was lucky enough to come up for that finale. It's one of three races I got to see this year. Um, I think the venue was amazing. It was it was unreal. The it, I've never seen dirt like that either. But the color was black. It was really dark. Yeah. It was actually rock. The only thing I could compare it to was actually the Frederick, Maryland half mile. The same type of dark, really dark rocks. And it... Uh, it was really roosting and coming off those back tires a lot, especially in the first part of the day. Um, they took a short break and swept off some of that and swept it up to the deep stuff, which smoothed out the straightaways, which I'm glad they did because uh, during practice and qualifying, there's a little sketchy going on those straightaways. Yeah, I think that the first thing I thought when I actually saw it up close, saw the track up close, was I'd hate to be anything but first place because that roost is going to be gnarly. 
Yeah, and I actually I thought so. I thought it was the roost that was giving the people vision problems later on, but yeah. it's actually the it was misting most of the day. So the wetness in the air, getting stuck on their shield, and then being behind somebody put dirt on top of the wet wetness. It almost created like a mud or a slime that you couldn't even see through. So they were reaching off and grabbing tariffs as fast as they could. And you can't stack a whole lot of tariffs on there. And if you think about it, you go down the straightaway. That's when you tear your tariff off, get a cl- get clear vision, go into the corners and get covered right back up. So a tear off almost every straightaway, you can go through them pretty quick on a 25 lap main event. Yeah. And I talked to a couple of different riders throughout the day and uh, I think they liked it in the beginning. They were all excited to race it, but then, you know, the weather came in anything from the day that stood out to you. Um, you know what? Kenny Coolbest last race, the crowd was, was behind him 100% because he's from out the East coast. He's originally from Connecticut. Kind of a tribute to him was really cool. Um, I was, I was honored to call his last race. He actually won the first race when I was a live event announcer some 10 years ago. So that was pretty cool to me. Kind of put a bookend on it for me. Uh, the championships were locked up in both classes, so nothing right there to talk about. But the battle for third in the point standings, especially in the singles, was awesome. Yeah, both series had a battle for third. And uh, there were some other battles for, like, I think, what, fifth through eighth place or fourth through eighth place or something like that in the Twins yeah. class? And they, and they were all really close. But in the singles class, you know, one thing that I want to talk about was Cameron Smith blowing up you know, at, at the very end of the, the back straightaway on lap one and right in front of the, you know, he's probably in third or fourth place. And then I just see a puff of smoke. And that's what happens when something goes through the cases and oil gets on the hot motor and the exhaust pipe. So big, big cloud of smoke. And somehow everybody got through there. So uh, that was that was to me the first thing that was like my wow moment for the day. Yeah, no, I think there was some pretty interesting stuff in the heat races that I saw. But, you know, I, Cameron Smith was running good all day. So it was a bummer to see what happened to him in that main event. Um, another notable i thought max whale right he came on strong the end of the year had that sixth place finish to finish out the year i'm real real interested to see what this kid does in the future yeah it's pretty exciting i talked to him he actually flew home yesterday back to australia he left a lot of his bikes and equipment here um he doesn't have a lot of mild experience long tracks down there in australia are, are about a half mile long so just to see his progression the different tracks we race here versus what they race at home I think he's a he's a very impressive rider, and uh, man, I, I can't wait for him to see what he does next year. Yeah, I think uh, the biggest thing, though, you know, we talked about it last week in the preview when we previewed this race. You just mentioned it here a second ago. That battle for third ended up being the story of the night in that singles class. It was third in points, but it was for the win of the night. Colby 100%. Carlisle and Shana Texter were exchanging blows, and it was a drag race to the finish line, and I think, I think a lot of factors played into it, but Shana's a lot lighter. She was on the preferred line. And Colby had to try to go around her, and it was a race all the way to the finish line. And from everywhere where I was up above everything, everybody's standing up about the last three laps. Yeah, I got to tell you, man, I was in the middle of the grandstands when that happened. I I was walking around there on the other side of the start-finish line, and, you know, I've been around the sport for three years, and I'd never seen a a crowd like that. And the atmosphere, unbelievable. There were people, you know, to the left and to the right of me that, that... I don't even think we're flat track fans when they when they came to that event, but they definitely left flat track fans. Pretty cool to see, you know, that 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 atmosphere out there for a flat track event for sure. That's awesome. In the twins class, I, I don't think anything really stuck out to me. There was so much roost, you know, so you couldn't get right behind anybody, so it was hard to draft anybody. I mean, there's some some draft passes, but it was really hard. I think vision was more of a factor after after the race. We found out why some of the riders who were up in the front faded to the back. Like Chad Coase was running third a lot of the main event. 
I saw his helmet afterwards, and he couldn't see anything. All was, his tariffs were gone, and if you reached up and tried to wipe it, it just smeared it. He ran the last three laps with his shield open. That's insane. So, no, uh, I was, it's crazy. J.D. Beach was talking afterwards, and he said that he was just following the, the yellow on Fisher's leathers. Like He just saw little specks of yellow on Fisher's leathers, and that's all he could see. I, I, I can't even imagine riding one of those bikes around the track, let alone you know, in those conditions. And, you know, there were about four or five, you know, that I saw riders there that, that posted pictures of their helmets and, and what it looked like at the end of the race is, is insane. And Briar Bauman was one of them. He got a bad start, like a really bad start, like eighth into the first corner. He worked his way up to third and then he faded back a little bit. And so he was, he was going to the front and the back. And, and I thought, I thought, okay, he tracked him down. Now he's going to regroup and go for it. But actually it was because he couldn't see. Yep. And, uh, so that left it between, Meese and Smith and you know Smith led the first five laps then Meese got around him and I thought Meese was long gone I was like all right nobody's gonna touch him but but Smith kept him honest yeah and I I was down there on the ground right so it was hard for me to kind of see what was going on but you had that bird's eye view I mean it looked to me down there that Meese had the race right like he 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 took the lead what the sixth lap and led it all the way to the 24th lap and they passed me you know on the front stretch there and it looked like Meese had it like what I I could see a little bit on on the screen as to what happened, but like what happened in that last lap, you think? It, you know, like you said, Meese went by you in turns one and two. Down the back straightaway, it almost looked like he let up a little bit and wanted wanted Smith to go past him, and he wanted to be in the catbird spot to be in second coming off the final corner and use a draft pass to, to pass Smith back to the finish line. But Smith got through three and four in a hurry, and then here comes Jeffrey Carver, who got into the top three in a hurry right yep. there near the end. And he stuck a wheel in there, and I don't know if that disrupted Meese a little bit or threw him off. I think Meese actually thought it was going to be between him and Smith. Right. So he threw Carver in the mix, and he threw Brian Smith getting through three and four in a hurry, and Smith led him all the way from turn three all the way to the finish line. That's awesome. I mean, he came on strong. A lot of people were, were questioning whether he'd even be able to come back in, in the capacity that he used to race. But, I mean, coming on, coming back into the into the series and then ending this the series with three mile wins you know obviously one he thinks one was given and it i mean you have to finish the race so he got three wins there at the end that's pretty impressive yeah and three mile wins at the very end of the season everybody thinks he's a mile specialist but man that that guy can ride a motorcycle doesn't matter what track it's on so uh that was all the racing action there on saturday night and then we had the banquet on sunday afternoon everybody had to get a ride or a shuttle or an uber or a ferry to go where we were at down there in manhattan right next to comic-con (laughs) <laughs> was that was the awards banquet did you know that the, the dude that drive-in that drive-in was one of the most amazing i mean new york itself is pretty impressive to walk around and, and just look at things but to have a comic-con event like right next door i mean you got batman you got like all these different people dressed up like walking by um it was pretty entertaining uh, entertaining ride in for sure yeah it was great you know i we actually got out uh, my producer for the event me and Jason took a ride down there and Uber down there. We actually got out like five blocks away because we weren't moving because of the Comic-Con traffic. So we walked the rest of the way and, uh, we got there and got everything set up and the, you know, the banquet started at five 30. Uh, the, the open bar was from four to five 30. And then we got started in the first part of the banquet. Uh, Heather DeBeau and I, I got to host it. It was my first time hosting it since back in 2015. And I had a good time, you know, uh, just to work with Heather again, it's not my cup of tea, that's for sure. I love doing the live event announcing. That's what I love. I love. You don't like dressing races, up and looking all pretty, Scotty. 
I always look pretty, but I had to dress nice. <laughs> Dude, that, that venue is pretty badass, I got to say. It was, it was a pretty nice little spot. I mean, you walk out there on that deck and, and look at the skyline of New York. Um, it was, you know, the warehouse with the nice cars around there. It was pretty cool. I said we should have probably grabbed some riders and talked to some of the Comic-Con folks on the way in as a red carpet. That would be pretty funny. Um, but no, I, I, I definitely, you know, the drinks were nice. The food was great. The conversation before the banquet's great. It's always good to see everybody at the end of the year. I think it's funny to see some of those riders all dressed up and some of them feeling awkward. So um, it's, I think it's always a great way to end the season for sure. Uh-huh. I'd have to say Jesse Janish looked probably the best out of the riders. He had some really crazy pants on and a nice little bow tie. Yeah. But then Chef, a I guy know. that works on the AFT staff, was dressed to the nines and and he was pimped out. That's uh, for sure. Chef was Chef was top notch. He and he always that's that's like all year long. I think that's the, the event he looks forward to just to kind of show everybody up. He, and that dude's got style. I'll tell you. We'll post yeah, a does. picture or something somewhere so everybody can see yeah. it. American Flat Track celebrated the season, handed out some awards and some extra money to the riders. My favorite part, honestly, was the very first award. It was the Brentlinger Award of Excellence, and and we had Raymond Rizzo come up there. He didn't know what was going, you know, he didn't even know what was going on. I was going to ask. Just, he, 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 looked, he looked totally yeah. surprised. Yeah, he was. He had no idea. We he did the moment of silence for Alec Muth, which we had to do that. We, you know, he deserves that for sure. Yep. And then he, you know, he he prayed for us. Yep. And then I said, I gave him that award, and man. I just I could not wait to give that give him that first award. No, he was stoked, and uh, I definitely don't think he saw it coming. But you know, as everything with with that guy, he's very appreciative. So, um, yeah, and yeah. we talked about him earlier. Maxwell, he took home the Rising Star Star Award. Look forward to see what what that guy does in the future for sure. Yeah, I can't wait. I think he's coming back. I think he's going to ride the singles class again next year. And yep. they they also introduced a, a more more races for the production twins class. So maybe Maxwell will get to run some of that. I don't know if he's got a twin he can ride, but He's got a long time before he gets that opportunity, so maybe he'll build one. No, Absolutely. Good stuff. We also we also we also celebrated the career of Kenny Coolbeth. That was cool. Got to give him the lifetime achievement award uh, right be, before the end of my break, which was cool. That was done at halftime. So they also roasted Jared Meese, and then the series champions, the Tuners, and uh, you know the first half was awesome. No, it was great. I you know I always love me some Thunder videos. Thunder put some good videos together always for the for the series and for the people to watch at the end of the year to kind of look back and. Remember the things that were. I was I was sitting right behind Kenny and, and the wife and the kid when when those videos were going. So it was cool to kind of see him react to that. And uh, one hell of a career, man. I can't I can't say enough about that guy. One heck of a guy for sure. Yeah, his, his parents were both crying. I actually got to ride on the shuttle bus back to the hotel, and his mom looked at me and and uh, she gave me a really nice compliment. She said, "Scotty, she said you're a real stand up guy. We appreciate what you did for us." And man, that that hit home for me right there. That was really cool. There was some other interesting stuff. I mean, the partnership with Dan Easy, they're going to be, uh, you know, helping step up on the safety side of things. There's a, they did a live stream with Brad Baker, and they had a little conversation about 2019, a little announcement that he might be coming on to do some, uh, do some races and some announcing in 2019. That'll be cool. I think that, you know, when he sat in with you, hearing that rider's perspective, not that you don't give that sometimes because you too were a rider, but, you know, to hear his take and, you know, why they're getting into a corner the way they do, um, it's tough to do that and do the, the play-by-play. Um, so I think it's good It's good to have that color um, along with your, your play-by-play. I, I, I hope so, and I, I'm, I'm glad Brad's going to be a part of the, the sport still. And, Absolutely. you know, I've been watching videos. He's still recovering, and he's going through some really intense therapy right now. So, you know, until he gets better, until he can race again, at least we'll give him a way to stay involved in the sport. Love it. Yeah. Did do you know if he knew that or was that a shock or a surprise to him? Yeah, he looked shocked. It was pretty cool. That was a pretty cool moment, yeah. and I know everybody went 
you know, there was a huge uproar of, of applause once once they saw him pop on the screen. So that was a pretty cool part of the event as well. Um, also there at the, in the schedule is the 2019 preliminary schedule came out. New Hampshire and Arizona, two new tracks. Yeah. And then we're going, going back, back, back to, to Cali, Cali. 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 Yep. Going back to Paris to the half mile out there. We were we skipped them this year, but we're gonna go back out there. It's early in the season this year, so uh, you know Arizona's a different track. We raced Arizona mile before, so it is gone. They've switched it to an Arizona TT. New Hampshire is actually replacing Oklahoma City, so Calistoga's gone. Arizona mile's gone. Oklahoma City's gone. Yep. But we don't. We have the same amount of races. There's still 18 races for 2019. Yep, and that actually leads us to this week's topic. What do you think about the 2019 preliminary race schedule? Do you like the events they've added? Do you like the ones they've taken away? What are your thoughts? Give us a call. 904-395-5956. Perfect. Well, that's it for the intro. Yeah. Carter, that's it for the intro. You've been teasing me for about three or four weeks now that we had this extra special guest coming up and... You won't tell me who it is. Usually yep. we record about three or four episodes at a time, yep. and we're out of recording. Yeah, we are. So and this, who, who, we, who, we record, who are we interviewing today? So yeah, no, we've been winding down towards the end of the season. I just wanted to get through that season finale, and uh, I think it's time to tell you who the surprise is. You know, I, Do you know what episode this is, by the way? I know we're around 40, maybe just a little bit past 40. I, I don't know. I, I lost close. track, dude. We started this back in November or December of last year. We recorded our first in November. We published them in December. So yeah, no, it's it's been a while. It's almost been a full year. Um, we are currently on episode number 43. So hey, who that's do you, a good number. It is a that, good number. That's a good number. I know you like that number. Who do you think I got for the guest for episode number 43? Richard Petty? <laughs> That would be surprising. No, it's the... Um, hold on. Hold on. Hold what? on a second. I'm not done guessing. Oh, boy. Um, Who else you got? Joe Kopp was Joe Kopp was number 43. Was he? Yep. Oh, he was number 43 that. before I was. Really? Sammy Halbert was 43 after nah. I was. We've asked him a couple of times, and he's he's said no both times. So well, He never even said no. He didn't respond. So. Well, maybe one day. No. Number 43 is you. Number 43, Scotty Dubler. So that's the reason I kind of wanted to jump in, uh, if nothing else, just to interview the Scotty Dubler. Give the fans a little background on who you are. You down? Right now? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, let's do it. It'll be the same format as you've done, you know, with everybody else, kind of walking through the questions, telling your backstory, and then asking some funny things here and there. What do you think? I, I'm, I'm a little nervous. Don't be nervous. Are you nervous? I, I'm more nervous than you. You're the one that's comfortable okay. behind the mic. I'm jumping on it for the first time. Let's do it. Let's do it. So let's get into it. Let's find out who Scotty Dubler is. So, where were you born, Scotty? Sioux Falls, South Dakota. South Dakota. See, I always thought you were an Okie through and through, but you well, were born in South Dakota. I left I left Sioux Falls. I was either seven or eight years old, went to Denver for a year, and then my dad wanted to be more centrally located. Yeah. Uh, he was still thinking about racing or doing some other kind of racing or something like that. So uh, we went to Oklahoma. That way we could get to either coast and try to make it back for work. Uh, we could go north if we wanted to. Uh, so we uh, we ended up Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City. At what age again? Mm, I was I think I was third grade. So third grade. I was probably I don't know eight or nine. However old you are in third grade. Exactly. So had you gotten had you touched a motorcycle at this point? Oh yeah, I started riding motorcycles. I was probably four or five. Yeah. Uh, I learned how to ride at Graham and Paw's house actually in Sioux Falls. Is that the same Graham that asked all the questions week to week? That is Graham. That's my dad's mom, yeah. and uh, Pa is my dad's dad. 
That's interesting. So you are a third generation flat tracker, right? So your your dad raced, your grandfather raced. And my two aunts raced, and two of my uncles raced, and my cousin raced. That is insane. That is insane. So flat track is in your blood. Yeah. It took me a while to figure it out, but yes, it is. Yeah. (laughs) Is this weird, me asking you the questions? No, it's all right. I'm trying to keep my mind occupied and remember the the facts, you know, because I... When I'm asking the questions, I already have them written down. And yeah, I, I, don't, I don't have to. I don't have to think about it because I just have them. And, well, that's something and else just, we've uh, done too. Away. Everybody we talk to, we kind of send them an outline of things. But I haven't sent you anything. You didn't even know. You had no idea. So you're probably still trying to figure out why the hell I'm interviewing you. Is that why my head's spinning right now? <laughs> Your head shouldn't be spinning. You've been interviewed before, oh. have you not? It's been a while. No. I know uh, the Electric Horseman wants to interview me, and we just never never got connected out there in New Jersey. We're working on that uh, still, so he's going interview to interview me here pretty soon, so maybe this is good practice. He, uh, he writes some good stuff. I can't wait to see what he, what he writes when he talks to you. So, you moved to Oklahoma City. Then what? I just grew up here. I, did, I don't know. I uh, actually raced go-karts in Sioux Falls before I left there as a little little guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't race. I don't think I raced any motorcycles until I got down here to Oklahoma. I think I raced a cross country was my first motorcycle race. A at cross a place country that doesn't race? even exist. Was your first? Yeah, yeah. On a little bike. My first motorcycle was a TY80 Yamaha, mm-hmm. and I actually still have that motorcycle. And I think that might have been the first one I raced on. I did a cross country, and then uh, I, I, I trail rode a whole lot growing up, but it wasn't. It didn't really do much for me. Yeah. Um, and then I decided let's start racing bicycles. So I went into BMX. BMX. So wait, you went from go-karts to motorcycles to bicycles. Like I said, it was it was a weird road I traveled, <laughs> but while I was racing BMX, I still rode in the woods with my dad and my uncles and stuff like that here at a place called Draper Lake. But uh, I did, some of my friends were racing BMX, so I started doing that at about age 14. I did that for a couple years. I think the best I ended up in the state of Oklahoma was like ranked 15th over everybody in the state and went to a lot of big races and had a lot of fun. Um, my cousin Kane actually raced bicycles with me, and we traveled, traveled together some and, and had a good time. But, uh, you know, at some point, the bicycle was too slow, and then I started, uh, started racing motocross. What do, you, what, do you race, what do you race bicycles on? dirt on pavement on both no it back then it was all dirt it was bmx so it had dirt jumps and everything but it was all dirt now if you look at bmx they've got a lot of their a lot of the tracks are paved and then they have some dirt corners or they have dirt jumps and they have pavement so now it's changed a lot if i've been watching it a little bit lately but uh back then it was all dirt and when you raced go-karts was that dirt oh it's dirt it's actually at the uh the racetrack and up in sioux valley it was a sioux valley cycle club and that's where uh you know that's where my dad actually, you know, actually built, helped build that racetrack. My grandma and, and pa actually helped run the club. They were all always members. Uh, we still go out to that track when we go up there. Um, it's a very special place to us. Gotcha. So you've been playing in the dirt since you were what, three years old? Oh, longer than that. I went to, I went to, I was going races when I was just a few days old. My dad was still racing a lot when I was very little. So I'd go to the races. My mom would either do scoring or signups or both or, or, you know, uh, hand out the trophies and I'd just play and in the dirt and go wherever who some you know somebody else would be watching me and i'd be hanging out there playing in the dirt and collecting bottle caps and and just having a good time and they'd be you know they'd be running the races so after bmx you went into motocross and talk talk about that a little bit in well, oklahoma 
Yeah, that was all in Oklahoma. Well, yeah. I travel around a lot with that too. But in motocross, um, it was new to our family because my dad didn't like getting off the ground. He liked staying, staying, you know, go fast, turn left. Uh, and so me and dad, it was a learning curve for us. And I, you know, I started out, you know, winner, winner, beginner, you know, and uh, I had a lot of good races and, and moved up, you know, pretty rapidly through the ranks. And I, the highest I got was to, to intermediate. And uh, I don't know, I raced motocross for probably four years, maybe uh, broke a lot of bones um chased a lot of fast guys never made a dime racing motocross and and the last time my last motocross race they actually had us running with the pros and i was chasing the pros i was probably running third out of everybody and and hit this double went over the handlebars and broke my collarbone really bad in about five ribs and uh on the way to the hospital my dad looked at me and he said uh he said maybe we should try flat track (laughs) and you know i looked at him and i was like you know Everybody's going the same direction and all everybody's turning left. When you're in motocross, you you have a 42 man starting gate. That's 42 people you got to try to avoid hitting or try to avoid, you know, racing against. And flat track, the most you can have is 18 in the main event. So um, after I healed up, I uh, bought my first flat track motorcycle from a guy in Phoenix, Arizona. And you went flat tracking. Were you the first one in the family to do motocross? You know, I don't know that for sure. I probably stuck to motocross more than anybody else in my family. I don't think I think my dad might have tried it. He he liked the uh, the cross country stuff. I don't I can't remember any cross, so probably so. Gotcha. Did they give you a hard time at all when you when you went into it or no? They they didn't understand it. Yeah. You know, it's it's such a cool feeling to hit a jump and you can't see where you're gonna land, but you just know you got to hit that thing wide open. Uh, when I was racing, I was on you know mostly 125 two-stroke motorcycles, so you got to really wind them out and just just let it let it all hang out and hit the hit the jump and try to land where, where you're supposed to be landing. So they didn't quite understand it. They all supported me though. Yeah. So when when last week we talked to Ryan Sipes, you can really you can really relate. Somebody coming from motocross, obviously he he did a little bit more um, with his motocross career, but I mean coming from the motocross world and then racing flat track, right? That's why I was so impressed, and that's why I really wanted to have him on the podcast because what he did, you know, he was almost fast qualifier there at the Springfield TT, never never racing flat track before. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't come in at that level. I actually I only ran one or two amateur races in flat track, and then I went pro too, but I, I wasn't even anywhere near that speed. Uh, what he did was so impressive to me, and, you know, it's a totally different style because in motocross you put your, your, your left foot all the way to the front tire or your right foot because you turn right. In flat track, you keep it more beside you. So it's hard to train your brain to do something completely different than what you've been doing your whole life. So when was your first flat track race? How old were you? Uh, I think I tried one or two when I was about 15 at an indoor track in Hera, Oklahoma. It's called the OK Corral. Yeah. Uh, they actually still race there in the wintertime. It's a little itty-bitty place. It's always cold in there. It's got some really, really red dirt. But uh, I rode. I think I rode my uncle's trail bike and we actually lowered it down and put some weird tires on it that would fit and and i did pretty good um then i got my rotax and i was probably about 18 when i you know got serious and got into flat track nice so when did you go pro after i got my rotax i think i ran one or two races as an amateur uh i actually had ronnie jones and some of the other guys from around here uh a recommendation letter i sent in my motocross resume they actually gave me my back then it was called pro singles license yeah what would you what would you say is your favorite racing memory uh from flat track or from which which kind of from racing? flat track and that's a tough one i think i think my favorite flat track racing memory is probably my man i don't know i got a couple so yeah 
my my first pro win as a professional was out in Fort Morgan, Colorado, and it was a high bank short track. It was it was tacky, and there's a red flag with about two or three laps to go, and and I had opened up a pretty big lead, and then so you have a restart, and they're all they're all right on my back tire, you know. And I turned around, I shouldn't have turned around, but I turned around, and and some of the fastest guys, fastest pro singles guys were right there behind me, and I had to hold them off because. Uh, I think we restarted. I think the minimum restart was five laps. So we restarted and I held them off. So my first pro win was pretty good. And then another race that sticks out was uh, Oskaloosa, Iowa. I was on my Rotax, you know, so it was a 600. And I beat an RS750 Honda. He, and he was a national number rider. He was behind me. Uh, so that was a big win for me. You don't like talking about your racing career there, do you? No, I don't. I, You know what? I'm, I'm very modest. I... I think I was just lucky to um, to go to the races with my dad and go to, go hang out at the races. I, I was I was never really fast. I mean, I, I was decent, but um, I'm 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 just too. I guess I just probably too modest. I guess you are very modest. I can attest to that. You don't like talking about yourself. But this episode is dedicated to D. Scotty Dubler, so we're gonna have to we're gonna have to plow through this. Okay. Um, so tell me a little bit about, uh, the people that you raced against, um, who in the, is in the sport today that, that you raced against, uh, what, who's your, like your idol that you raced against, things like that. Well, probably there's not very many people left that are still racing. That I raced against, I think I raced against Smith a little bit. I raced against Coolbeth a little bit. Uh, Chris Carr, uh, I raced some, he was always, it seemed like he was always in a class ahead of me. Um, but idols in my sport, looking up to people, I would have to say, I looked up to Ricky Graham, that, that guy could do anything on a motorcycle and he was just incredible and such a nice guy. Um, Mike Hacker, I see him in the pits. Some, I, I still talk to him. I think I raced with him a little bit, but you know, it's just, it's a whole different crowd. I, my last professional race was 2002. So if you think about it, that's 16 years ago. Some of these guys in the singles class are just 16 years old. So there's no way I could race any of them. Uh, but it's just it's a it's a whole different crowd now. How did you start thinking about being an announcer in the sport? How did you transition to that? That was just luck. That was luck. Yeah. So I never I never thought about it. Um, like I said, I walked away from flat track in 2002. So my cousin was was killed right in front of me in 2000 in Des Moines, Iowa, and that was the game changer for me because I had a daughter at that point. And I didn't want to leave her without a dad. And like I said, I was, I was, I was okay. I wasn't doing it for a living. I had a real job. And I, would, you know, when I clocked out, we'd take off and go to the race. And when the races were done, we'd come back and we'd go right back to work. So I had a job, I had a daughter and I didn't want to leave her without a dad. So I made some changes. And then I, I raced a couple of times in 2001 and, and a couple of times in 2002. And, and I think in the fall of 2002, somewhere around there, uh, a local race down here in Purcell, Oklahoma. The announcer didn't show up, and I just went down there to watch. And is actually uh, the promoter was Johnny Isaacs, who I'd raced for before, and he asked if I'd want to do it. And I said, I'll, you know, I was just there watching, so I did it. I, I'm sure I did a horrible job, but it was fun. You know, I got to, I got to be at the track. I got, I probably got 50 bucks or something like that. It was, it wasn't very much, but I didn't even want it. I didn't even want to take it because I was just there, just as a spectator. And uh, that fall or that winter, Mike Kidd, who used to run the, the flat track series back in the day, put a post on the flat track forum that's no longer around. And 
and I actually responded to the post and sent in a, a re my racing resume and Monster Jam actually called me. And so I got my first real paying gig to announce from Monster Jam. They flew me to Chicago and all the announcers got together at an announcer summit. And then in January, I started doing monster trucks in Reliance Stadium in Houston, Texas. That was your first gig. That was my first Monster Jam gig. So Scott Douglas, who I think is still with Monster Jam, he's he is like the voice. Yeah. He he did the monster trucks. I did like mini sprints and four wheelers or something like that. And then I would do all the, the PA reads. So yeah. he would give me a, a script and he'd say, Okay, read this. So I would read that and then he would get back into the monster trucks. And so that was my first gig. Second gig was where the San Antonio Spurs play it was the Alamo Bowl or Al Alamo Stadium. And then the third gig was in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. And another guy introduced the show, and I started it, and I did the rest of it. And so I worked for Monster Jam for probably eight years, six or eight years. Were you more nervous racing your first flat track race or announcing your first Monster Jam? I would say announcing for sure because when you're announcing, everybody's looking at you. When you're racing, yeah, you're nervous, but you're not worried about everybody just looking at you. You're worried about getting a good start. You're worried about the guy beside you. You're worried about, you know, try not to fall down, you know, but as an announcer, everybody's looking at you. So I was, I was more nervous announcing. Gotcha. So you did that for seven or eight years, the monster jam. So what, how did you end up in flat track then? So after, well, while monster jam was going on, yeah. uh, a friend of mine named Doug Stewart from Colorado was a racer. He's still, well, he doesn't race much anymore, but uh, he had a wild idea to start a company called Live Eye Sports. And it was live broadcasting the races on the internet through a satellite. And he asked myself if I wanted to be the, the event announcer. I said, yeah. And he goes, well, who do you want to be your color announcer? And I was like, well, Ronnie Jones is done and we're good friends. We live in Oklahoma City. So he hired myself and Ronnie Jones to be the announcers of Live Eye Sports. And if Ronnie couldn't make it, we actually hired, I think we had Scotty Parker in there once or twice. We had Bill Warner in there once or twice to be my co-announcer. And so that was my first exposure to almost TV. It was live event announcing. And it lasted about a year and three quarters, maybe, a, maybe a, yeah, almost two years. And he kind of ran out of money. We were trying to sell the, the races for $1.99. Well, that didn't work. Then we went to $4.99. Well, then we had issues, and, and people would want their money back. And it was it was a hell of an idea. It's basically what Fans Choice is now. It was just hard to make everything work uh, logistically. Got you. So that was like a, like a part-time thing, or you were racing a full season pretty much? We were announcing the full season. That yeah. was after I was completely done racing. I was still doing Monster Jam. Monster Jam is pretty much from January through March and then March is when flat track gets started. So I was doing, uh, still monster jam in the winter, uh, and then announcing live eye sports in the summertime. So did that lead, did that lead you to your job with American flat track and announcing with them full time then that was like 10 years ago now, wasn't it? Pretty much. So, so when, when live eye sports went under, I was off, uh, uh, one full summer after that. And then it seemed like, um, JB Norris passed away at Lima, Ohio and a few days after JB passed away, uh, I think actually somebody from American, it was back then it was AMA Pro Racing, somebody from them got a hold of me, and there was a race in Topeka, Kansas on the 4th of July, which was the next weekend after Lima. So I had, I had a little bit of time to prepare. It was only five hours away from Oklahoma City. So I drove up there, and that was my first live announcer job, and that was in the middle of the season. 
And then I also got to do the last race of that season, which was also in Topeka. It was at the same racetrack. And so I got two races done. And then at that time, that was when American Flat Track took over the series. And they wanted to uh, they wanted to hire myself because I was younger, more energetic because I've been doing monster trucks for a while. And that's when they also hired Barry Boone. So Barry Boone and myself took over as the announcers in the, the following year. Good stuff. And you guys worked together. You guys worked together for how many years? I think Barry and I worked together for six years. He missed a few races here and there because he was also doing the road race series as well as the flat track series. But we were we had a partnership for probably six years. Good stuff. Definitely a, a staple in flat track racing and announcing for sure, Barry Boone. He actually, Barry Boone actually is the one that first started calling me Hollywood. So oh, yeah? about halfway through our stint, he he couldn't see quite as well as I could. And so he'd have to look down and read the read the sponsors or read the numbers. When he look up, he had trouble with his eyes focusing on somebody down the back straightaway or whatever, just for an example. So they end up switching us out. So they put me in the play-by-play, put him down there on the podium, and it was the best move they did. Well, um, through that, I became the play, play-by-play announcer. And I think Chet Burks Productions hired me to do uh, the Daytona Short Track on ESPN. And after that, the first time it came out on ESPN, Barry Boone started calling me Hollywood. So that's how I got my flat track uh, announcing nickname of Hollywood. Is that the only nickname you have? When I raced motocross, it was Dublin Dublin Doobler. Dublin Doobler, because you take a double yeah. jump. Because I'd do the jump, double jumps. And uh-huh. then, uh, or if I didn't didn't jump a jump, they call me no Dublin Doobler. Oh, boy. Uh, I don't know. And then, like, through school, it was like Doobie. But it kind of sounds bad because I've never touched a drug in my, you know, in my life. So I didn't, I didn't. Scotty Dubes. Yeah, Scotty Dubes, what uh, you and Nate Dog and everybody in the AFC uh, (laughs) truck, production truck calls me. So Scotty Dubes. um, So I don't know. Yeah. Hollywood. Hollywood's good for me. So that first race you said in Kansas, was that the Cool Beth race that you said? The first race I announced was on the 4th of July in Topeka, Kansas and Kenny Cool Beth won. That's crazy. That's awesome. That's really cool. I I know that you're not supposed to be partial, but I know you have a soft spot for that guy. He's he's definitely done a lot for the sport for sure. Yes, he's the people's champ. You know, if you can if you can last 25 years racing anything, I don't care what it is, you've earned it, and you should have the respect of everybody in the pit area. And Kenny does, and he always will. It's got to be pretty cool to to have worked with Barry Boone as long as you did too, man. I know when I came onto the scene, um, as you mentioned earlier, I was just a you know the NASCAR guy who didn't know anything about flat track, but um, definitely had a hunger to learn. And, and you guys have you guys taught me a lot, not just about you know what happens on the track, but who these people are outside of the track. And that's something that uh, that you and I have always tried to help um, people understand too. And I think it's a big part of the reason why we're doing this podcast, right? Absolutely, and also. Through, through Barry Boone, I met John Boucher, who is Next Moto champion, and he actually hired myself and Corey Texter to do a flat track weekly radio show, which Barry Boone, Corey, and I all did at the same time. And then Barry branched off, and he started doing his uh, his own radio show, and it left Corey and I to do the flat track weekly radio show that we did for probably three years. And Corey and I, you know, it's it's pretty much exactly what we do. We get on Skype with each other, and we'd call somebody, and uh, it was every Tuesday night, and we did it live, and uh, it was a lot of fun. Sometimes we had a couple of guests. Sometimes, most of the time, we had at least one guest. Sometimes two or three, but um, it was a lot of fun, and that was missing for a little while. And and when you got involved and got hooked on flat track, 
it was our way to, for one, give the people something to do and listen to in the off season, but for two, to get to know these riders because each one of those guys has a story. I want, I want the fans to relate to each one of them. Yep. No, we've done that with episode 43, man. And we've done that for 42 weeks, not just the riders, but you know, promoters, um, others outside of the series that, uh, that are flat track fans too. And, uh, everybody has a story. So, and I mean, we're just getting started. There's, there's a lot more people in this series that we haven't even heard from or talked to yet. There's people that we've talked to that have completely different stories now. So we'll probably talk to them again. There's some things that we're trying to do, hopefully with some new segments that we'll be doing here in the next couple months, we'll bring people back or trying out some new stuff. And, uh, hopefully, uh, most of it'll work. Some of it won't, I'm sure, but why not try new things? Right. Absolutely. And you know what? The response we've gotten has been incredible. Um, people come up to me that I don't even know who, who they are, but you know, it seems like everybody knows who I am because I'm on the screen and my name is plastered everywhere. But, um, people come up to me, just thank me for doing the podcast. And, and that, that means so much to me. I mean, you and I haven't, haven't even been trying to get any money. I mean, we finally got our first sponsor a couple weeks ago, Jim and Pat, but you know, just just the thanks from these people that I don't even know means so much. Yeah, I mean, it's something that we, we started, you know, just to on our own to, to have some fun with and, and, you know, help tell some of these stories, man. And, and I think in the beginning, I remember you, you coming down and we, we had the conversation about what we wanted this to be. And we both were like, you know, if 10 people listen to it and think it's cool, then that's awesome. And we 100% serious. But I mean, dude, we're like 23. 20 some thousand, I think it's close to 25 now, 25,000 listens. Um, and that's just unreal, um, that that many people are listening to what we're doing and, and not just listening, but enjoying it and responding and engaging. And, and, and what's cool to me too, Chris, is they listen to it all the way through, you know, yep. I'll start a podcast or something like that and I might get bored and just turn it off. And, and it doesn't seem like that's really happening with our podcast. So so whatever you're doing on your end must be pretty good. Uh, no, I mean, we, we talk about it. We talk about it before. We edit it a little bit, you know, just to make it take out the ums and the uhs. I'll probably take out a few of my own from this. Um, but it, it's, you know, to tighten it up, have a tight little show. It's good to recap the, the season, the past race, preview the upcoming race, and, you know, just talk flat track. I think that, you know, the series has done a really good job of being more available, you know, as far as content on the social side. I think, you know, it doesn't hurt to have some a weekly forum where you can talk about flat track, even if there's no racing going on, you want to, there's stuff going on always in this series. And I mean, there will continue to be in the off season. So we're going to be here trying to bring news as well. So sprinkled throughout the 40 some episodes. 43, you said. And this is 43. We didn't talk about that. So did you race any other numbers besides 43? Well, I think my height... I have to look back, but I think for some reason my go-kart number was five, yeah. and I think that might have just been on the bike. I don't even remember what number I ran when I raced the Enduro um, when I was a little kid because I think I think they just give you a number at the, at the track, and you just put you tape it to your helmet. Um, bicycles, uh, 802 was the number they gave me. It was the last three numbers of your AMA, American Bi- ABA, American Bicyclist number, so 802, and then I was 32 because I ended up 32 in the state, and then 15. I started motocross and I was 15, but everybody was 15 because Jeremy McGrath had that number for a little while. And so then I was 115, but uh, flat track, which is what we're talking about here. I was 43 G 
and G was the district letter. They don't have district letters anymore, but the district letter for Oklahoma, Kansas, and Colorado was the letter G. Yeah. My grandfather was 43J because he was from South Dakota when he was racing. So uh, my dad really didn't care what number he was. He he bounced around because he just if he would go to a race and, and he didn't have a bike, he would just jump on somebody's bike. So numbers weren't, weren't really that important to him. Um, so to honor my grandfather, I ran the 43, but I was 43G. And I just got lucky enough when Joe Cop won the championship in 2000, he was number 43. So the next – year he became number one i got to run national number 43 for 2000 uh and the, the few races i did in 2001 and 2002 love it good stuff so walk us through a typical race weekend what does scotty dubler <laughs> do to prepare for a race because uh, i mean well, the, the the amount of knowledge and i said this the first day i walked on the scene right like i had been around a few productions on the nascar side and you know outside of nascar other forms of racing the knowledge that you have in that brain for flat track is unbelievable. And the, the ability for you to just rattle it off at any point is un, it's un, unreal. I, I think, Chris, I think that's a God-given gift. I don't, um, I don't do it all on my own, though. I, um, it's weird because like at, at X Games and some other, other events I do, people will hand you notes while you're talking. Yep. When I'm in the booth at American Flat Track, I'm up there by myself. Yep. Every once in a while, somebody, a runner might come up and bring me a water or uh, bring me, you know, something. If but, you're lucky, you'll get lunch. Yeah. <laughs> to, to go back to your question, actually that starts early in the week. I look at my notes for whatever track we're going to. I try to find the history of that track. Um, I try to have, you know, who's won there before, who's still racing, you know, if it's relevant, if, if Brian Smith's won there seven times before, I'll, I'll have that in my notes. I'll have that in my arsenal. I try to make sure that I'm up to date with the points. I have a notebook that has all the records that I can think of that might be important to me. Um, I make my own cheat sheets for each Grand National number, and I'm probably going to have to start doing that for the AFT singles riders too because I think there's more more riders are using that as a career now. In the past, that class didn't mean as much, and I didn't have as many notes because they weren't stay, they wouldn't stay in that class for very long. So now it seems like they're staying in that class longer. So I'm probably going to make a separate page just for the uh, AFT singles riders. Um, but a typical race day, I mean, race weekend, I usually uh, say if it's a Saturday night race, I'll fly out Friday morning, uh, get to whatever town I'm going to, go check out the track. I usually have a Friday night meeting with, uh, with the promoter, with American Flat Track staff, with uh, Chris Carr is usually involved. Um there's probably about 10 people that all get together and we go over the format for the next day. Uh, then go grab some food, go grab some sleep and go up. You know, I'm at, I'm at the race day early the next day and it's a full day. We have another production meeting. We have a storyline meeting. So we know what storylines that maybe NBCSN wants to cover, which would be some of the same storylines I'll cover as well, but I don't want to give away all the nuggets, but I also don't want to give them all my nuggets. So you got to like, hold on to some of them nuggets. What do I want to save for myself? Or what do I want to save or give to NBCSN? And so I have to walk that line. And then uh, we get started with my pit walk, which, you know, that's what you started me on uh, at Phoenix in 2016, I think, is that's when we started. Would you really it. say that's your favorite? You say it every time, but is that really your favorite part of the weekend? I, I love it because there's nobody in my ear yep. telling me what's coming up or what's going on. Yep. There's no time schedule other than I have to be done before the riders meeting. Uh, they don't give me a script. I go off and I can be myself 
and the riders are themselves to me because it's before they ever put their leathers on, before they ever put their helmet on. So it's the rider in their natural state, and I'm in my natural state. And I'm friends with almost every person in the pit area. If not friends, I'm at least acquaintances with most of the people. And so they're, they're truthful to me. They joke with me. I'll joke with them back about, you know, like Mikey Rush's girlfriend is really my girlfriend. Well, they're actually married. And then so Chad Coast and, you know, it's just stuff like that, that, you know, just to break the ice and break down the barrier that these are real people. And the pit walk brings that out in them. Yeah. And I mean, we say it started in Arizona 2017, but I, I mean, I was there. My first year was 2016. Well, we did the first one on the, on in 2017, but I say it goes back to Arizona 2016 because I don't know if you remember this, but it was literally my third flat track event. And I had like, I was new as could be, right? Like I didn't know much about motorcycles at all before I came on. And I still say that I don't, I mean, I'm three years into it now, but I still say I'm just scratching the surface, but you pulled me out after the, after the race and you said, come on, come with me. So you actually pulled me out of the truck and said, and you walked around and that was when I saw, I saw you interact with people and joke around with people and you introduced me to the families and the people that were in there. And, and I think, you know, that is back of my head what sparked it one, the, a year later and I was like people need to see that they needed to see these people they needed to see the people involved in the sport they needed to see that family atmosphere they needed to see you walking around messing with these people so I think that first one if we go back and watch it it's on YouTube somewhere I think but it's a little rough and it's a little raw because you guys are just like what are we doing I was like just go just go do what you did last year but I did it was my favorite part of every weekend when I was working with AFT for sure and, and- and, you know, if, if Bubba was free, he would go with us, too. And they don't know Bubba as well, but everybody likes giving Bubba a hard time because his name's Bubba from Alabama. But, you know, and that's just part of it. That's just his personality. He's just so much fun. Well, he was new and, as well, yeah. And he was real new. So it was it was great for him to tag along because then he got to know the riders, too. And they got to know him a little bit. So, yep. it you know, it's done several good things, but it, it is still, Chris, my favorite part of the uh of the weekend i mean yeah. well and you say so it's I, like you were you were blown away by the response the the response that we would get on those pit walks were unbelievable i mean we'd start those things and thousand people thousands of people would just pour into that immediately slide. jump yeah. on my biggest compliment to that is i know we've talked about the pit walk for quite a while but it's pretty important to me but um my mom's side of the family does not care about racing at all and so but when my mom will share it on facebook a lot of my mom's side of the family will watch it. And my mom's friends from back in South Dakota, when she went to school, they, they look forward to it every week and yeah. they don't care about <laughs> motorcycle racing. They just enjoy it. And to me, that's a, that's a huge compliment. No, I love it. And I watch every single one, even nowadays. I love it. It's good stuff. Um, enough about the pit walk. I could talk about so it. So after day. the pit walk, hold on after the pit walk. Oh, you're still talking about, about your weekend. I love it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, man, it's it's a long weekend. I mean, everybody thinks it's all hunky dory, but uh, after the pit walk, usually I used to have to go to the riders' meeting because I'd have to speak at the riders' meeting. I uh, Chris Carr pretty much takes care of all that stuff now. So sometimes I go to the riders' meeting, sometimes I don't. Raymond Rizzo has a a uh, a prayer service. Sometimes I make it to those depending on what time it is, and then I got to pretty much stop by the truck, check in with my producer, grab about four bottles of water, and then I got to head to my spot because I I start talking on the microphone right before practice and I'm pretty much, I have to stay in my spot unless I have to run to the little boy's room 
until after the last main event and i tell everybody good night and you don't have to go straight home but please go home straight I've and i'll see you times. next week so yeah. Uh, it's, it's, and that's a long day. So after that, I, you know, I turn in my stuff, I, uh, button things up, grab some food and go to sleep and fly home. So, uh, a race weekend, you know, well, it sounds like it's all fun. There's a lot that goes into it. Um, but it's, it's all worth it. I, I, I love giving the knowledge that I have about flat track and the, and the stats that I have or the stats that I get from Burt Sumner or the media guide or whatever. I love sharing that with, with the fans. And uh, somebody told me um, somewhere along the way that I was an informative announcer. And that's because if I go to a race right now and I'm not announcing, I, I struggle to keep up with what's going on. I struggle to know who's transferring to the main event and why. And I struggle to know what class is on the track and stuff like that. So I, I, I take that very personal that I want to know. I want everybody to know what's happening. Hundred percent. No, and I think you do a hell of a job, man. And it's obviously, you know, not just me that thinks that. A lot of people do as well, and fans and people outside of AFT. You've done uh, some X Games, uh, done a few of those. So uh, you know, that's a the Hollywood nickname came from originally the ESPN side of things. But you're doing some some big things with X Games. You're uh, you're having some some fun outside of flat track while still covering flat track. So that's cool to see as well. It's crazy. Uh, I don't have my resume out there. I don't look for jobs anywhere announcing wise but my phone rings yeah and or i'll get an email you're kind of a big deal like the, no i'm just hollywood <laughs> just hollywood so no announcing the x game is just, is it's pretty damn cool yeah. it's it's what some people don't understand is i do the flat track on tv and this last year was on abc but i also stick around and i do all the freestyle motocross for the live event crowd so I'm there for probably five days, and I do a lot of action, and I don't know a lot about freestyle motocross. I know enough to be dangerous. I know enough to set it up for my co-announcer, and they keep having me come back. Um, I got a, a, a huge honor earlier this year. Harley-Davidson Motor Company called me to go to Milwaukee to announce the Flat Out Friday. Well, I did I did a good enough job at that when they had like 1.2 million views on their on their Facebook page that I went back for their 115th celebration, which was Labor Day weekend on Friday night, and then drove all night to get to Springfield for the Springfield short track. So I was honored to get a call from Harley Davidson. That was that was really cool. And then just recently, I was also uh, honored to get a call from SNS Cycle, who helps you know the Indian team a lot this year. But they they actually had me come up to Viola, Wisconsin, to a uh, a 60th anniversary birthday bash of SNS cycle. And there's five classes of racing. The big class of course was hooligans, but just for, for these people to reach out to me to announce for them is it's pretty cool. I mean, it, I'm, I'm honored and I'm, I'm working with somebody to possibly do some ice racing this winter, uh, some indoors, which would be a lot of fun too. So, uh, just, just for people to reach out to me to announce for them, it's, it's, uh, it's humbling. Yeah. So uh, now it's time in the episode where we ask, you know, Graham's question. Graham is your grandma. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I I got I got a funny one for you. Oh boy. What so you when got? I was little, when I was little, she wasn't ready to be a grandma. Yeah. So when we went, and she took me shopping a lot, a lot. We went shopping, and and I spent a lot of time with Graham because my dad, my dad had a motorcycle shop. He worked at the dairy in the morning, and then he went to the motorcycle shop. And mom was busy working and doing whatever. And so I spent a lot of time with Graham. So I go to the store 
and she didn't want to be called Graham, so she she, she, she didn't want to be called Graham or Grandma. She said, "Call me Aunt Kathy." Well, somehow we were at Kmart, and I got lost, and I found an associate or whatever. They found me. I was crying, and I they said, "Well, who are you with?" And I said, "Aunt Grandma Kathy," and so they paged Aunt Grandma Kathy on the uh, the PA system, and uh, from that point on, we just we we got rid of Aunt and we got rid of Grandma, and it was just Graham. So. Everybody I know calls her Graham. Good stuff. No, she's got some pretty good questions. I mean, we talk to her just about every week to try to get one little nugget from her. And she's always interested to ask. I mean, everybody we've talked to, she's had a question for. And she knows she does not just a question. That's like a run of the mill question. It's it's she knows these people. She's asking intelligent flat track questions. She's one of the biggest fans that I've ever met for sure. She she loves the sport, and it's not just flat track either. But you know, flat track's her favorite. But she went to the X Games this year for the very first time, and she was there from when they opened the doors until they kicked us out every night of the X Games. <laughs> so she went. She was she went to more of the X Games than I did, and I was there working. Dude, yeah, I, uh, I saw her she, one day, and I was tired just from walking around, and she was just going like crazy, like she was ready to go watch some more skateboarding stuff after the flat track stuff. You know, you would you would never guess she's 85, and most people think she's my mom, uh, because <laughs> my mom doesn't go to the races. Right. But and I understand that, but uh, that's Graham, and uh, she's going to go to the races until she can't anymore, and then I'm sure we're going to keep taking her somehow. <laughs> that's good stuff. No, so she's got a question for you. I reached out to her earlier this week. You did this behind my back. Yeah, I did all this behind your back. It's great. There's more stuff fantastic. coming too down the road too. By the way, Fanta- fantastic. Yeah, watch your back. She asks, Graham's question is, what part of announcing do you like best? The flat track family, your pit walk, or calling the race? Now, we talked about a lot of this, and you've already said that you like the pit walk. But if, if you had to compare it to the love that you have for the flat track family or actually calling a race, would you still say the pit walk is your favorite or what? Oh man, uh, you know the like we said a little bit ago, the pit walk is so awesome because that's my my family, my flat track family, who's being my family. It's like it's like a family reunion every weekend, you know. So that kind of goes together. But if there's a good race going on, and and it's a race for the win, and it's neck and neck, I I still get goosebumps because I get so excited and I love if it's if it's a really good race, I'd have to say a race. Calling the action is awesome. Calling a race. Um, my, you didn't ask me this, Uh-oh. but my favorite my favorite race that I ever called was when Shayna Texter won her first ever Grand National in Knoxville, Iowa. Yeah. I I have it on my iPhone because I, I don't listen to myself announce, but I will go back and listen to that one because that was exciting. So wait, you recorded yourself while you were announcing? No. Barry Boone actually put it together for me and sent it to me. And so it's in my iTunes somehow, somewhere, and I'll listen to it every once in a while. It's called Shana's Clip. That's really cool. And that was the first time she won a Grand National, huh? It was in Knoxville, Iowa. She actually had to catch. She was actually started like fifth or sixth, and she had to catch and pass Briar Bauman. <laughs> Back then, they weren't dating. Yeah. And she passed Briar and held him off, and it was a hell of a race. Yeah, a hell of a race. Well, I know that I was and, I was there when when Briar won his, and you talked about it often how you, how you went down, and that was pretty uh-huh. cool for you as well. But well, um, I'm sure this, yeah. this Shana one sounds pretty important as well. Well, the Briar deal that started, I've been I've been announcing him since he was a little kid, and we made a promise when he was a little kid that I would I would interview him when he got on his first podium. Yeah, 
that happened that happened i believe it was in pomona california i came down from the top of the grandstands ran all the way down the stairs and barry boone was courteous enough i think it was barry he yeah. he gave me the microphone i got to interview briar when he got third and from that moment on I, I I know I interviewed him in, in Las Vegas when he won his first Grand National, but that was a singles. And so, yeah. but we made a promise at Pomona that I had to interview him when he won his first Grand National Twin main event. And I got lucky because it was last year at Lima, Ohio, and I was announcing on the podium in this or right beside the podium in that little deal in the center of the track. And so I got to come down the stairs, and Bubba Blackwell graciously hand me the microphone. Yeah. Because that was a deal that we had going on, and actually, if you remember right, Briar called that race out when we we're in, well, in our pit in walk. the pit walk. Yep. So if you guys and, look back, it's on YouTube as well. Lima pit walk, 2017. Briar called it that he was going to win, and then he his did. Shots, and and I got to interview him right there. And I think, I think you called it, but he did not deny well, that he would win it. Yeah. Okay, I wasn't going to go there. I was going to give Briar <laughs> the credit, but. Anyway, so I got to interview him, and I think he was more in shock, and I think I was happier than he was because you I don't were. think it had sunk in that he just won Lima, and I was, man, I was so happy for that kid. Yeah, and uh, it's pretty cool. There, there's a lot of special moments like that, though. Hundred percent. So let's go through uh, some rapid fire questions. What do you think about that? I, I think that I'm the one that has gets to ask the rapid fire questions, so I don't even know what you got. So no, I'm, I'm a little nervous. I didn't should go I too far. Down? No, you should be sitting down for sure. Don't be standing up. Okay. Um, all right. What's the favorite motorcycle you've ever ridden? Ooh, man. Street bike, dirt bike, race bike. What are you talking about? Bike. Two wheels. Man. It can be dirt bike. It can be for? a BMX bike if you want. No. Um, ooh. The, my favorite. Man, if I could go just go grab a motorcycle to go ride, I'd, I'd grab my, my Rotax. Your Rotax, so, huh? My 600 Rotax is, it's, they're awesome. They're you so still have fun. it? Uh, yeah. Still have my Woods Rotax that I, I used to race until I retired. It's at my dad's house. Um, he's, he, uh, he talks every year about getting it back together and he's going to paint the frame and get new. I don't know. It, he's talking about bringing out a retirement, but I don't know. I'm not going to. He's trying to talk me into that too, but I'm done. <laughs> if you could choose any tuner, to wrench your bike, who would it be? My dad. Your dad. Yep. Love it. That's good stuff. There's a lot of good tuners out there. You choose your dad. That's all right. It's my dad. That's pretty badass. If you, your dad, and your grandpa ah. were in your prime, in your flat track, and raced, who would win? Just a half I mean, mile. I'd be third. Half I'd, mile. I'd be third. You'd be third? A half mile? Yeah. Yep, yep. I, I don't remember watching Pa race when he was really fast, but the stories I've heard and, and other people have told me about how fast he was, I'd have to say probably it was Pa. Yeah. Um, but my dad was pretty salty back in the day, too, and uh, they would smoke my ass. All right. Who is the most impressive flat tracker that you have ever called a race for? Hmm. Man, you put me on the spot here. Rapid fire, All around bro. most impressive rider, huh? Yeah, rapid fire. That 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 I've announced for. Yeah, that you've announced for. I've seen a lot of cool stuff, and uh, man, 
I don't remember. I don't remember if I got to announce Nikki Hayden or not, but he he's done s- some really cool stuff all around. I not announcing for is Ricky Graham. Announcing for that is so tough because I have the utmost respect for every one of them. Dude, you're putting me on the spot. I am. That's what this is about, isn't it? A guy that doesn't get the credit that has a lot of God-given talent is Chad Coase. He's my buddy, but that kid can ride a motorcycle. and He, he can ride supermoto. He can ride a lot of different things. Um, the most recent one that pops into mind is actually Ryan Sipes. From what he did and what he's been able to do to win the ISDE, to win motocross nationals and supercross nationals and then come in and win a flat track race that is impressive well they uh, you know, I, a, a grand national i didn't even know not, who not he was flat track race. before this season and i didn't really dig into who he was until you know just before we interviewed him on the podcast but wow he's got an impressive resume for sure and he's a, he's pretty much a badass what is your favorite food on the road when you're on the road favorite food I don't know. It, it seems like I tend to go to chain restaurants because I know what I'm getting. I'm, a, I'm the probably the pickiest eater you've ever met. So if I'm on the road, I try to go to the same stuff because I want to eat something that's good and I want to get full and I don't want to have to worry about it not being good. But I, I stick to chain restaurants just because if I'm, if I'm at a race weekend, I want to eat something that I know is good and I want to get a good meal before I go to bed. So what, In-N-Out Burger or is it like Applebee's? What do you think? Ooh. Dude, if I'm on the West Coast, it's an In-N-Out Burger for sure. Well, I know it's your drinking because uh, I drink Dr Pepper only because I've heard water rust the pipes, <laughs> and I don't like alcohol, and I might have some milk in my cereal, but other than that, it's Dr Pepper. I wouldn't be surprised to see you put Dr Pepper in your cereal. You love it that much. Did I do that when I stayed at your house? No, I've seen you wake up in the morning though and drink a Dr Pepper. You love no, some Dr. Not, Pepper. Not A. Not yeah. A. I drink. When I wake up, I have two of them back to back. If we ever seek like serious sponsorship, we need to look, reach out to Dr. Pepper because I think that that would be amazing 20, for 23 you. 23 flavors, but they're all fantastic. Yes, they are. Dr. Pepper. Scotty <laughs> Dubler loves some Dr. Pepper. Tell us something yeah. about Scotty Dubler that we do not know besides the Dr. Pepper fact. Um, some people don't know that I have a 25-year-old daughter. Yeah. She's in the uh, she's in the podcast. They don't. I don't know if they know that either. We tweeted it once, but she actually she's is in every yep. every podcast, yep. which I think is yep. pretty cool. She's, she's awesome. She uh, so some people don't know. I have a twenty five year old daughter. Um, I'm kind of a. I don't know if I'm OCD, but I gotta have things my way. I don't know that that means OCD, but like everything in the refrigerator has to be lined up. Everything on my desk has to be in the same spot. Um, that's a little OCD. Yeah. I have to be organized. Yeah. It's a little OCD. Nothing wrong with that though. Is it tough being on the other end of these rapid fire? Rapid fire. I've struggled with. Yeah. I did better when you're just asking me the normal question. Yeah. What's your favorite moment of 2018? Hmm. I don't know. I don't know that I have one. I, you know, I, I try not to pick kind of like, I don't, I don't pick a favorite writer because I, it's hard for me to, and I don't want to give, you know, one track more love than the other track because for, for as a promoter, it's awesome uh, just for them to even put on an event. I don't, I don't know. That's a tough one. I, I like every event. I don't know that I have a favorite moment. I think, I think Sipes winning the Buffalo chip was, is, is very special. Um, an unknown winning a grand national. I, I know it's a singles class, but it's still pretty incredible. He didn't just win it either. Um, 
he dominated. He kicked, yeah, he yeah. he dominated that. Yeah. I got I gotta say, mine this year is is Carver winning in Springfield, and I think it was more about the fact that he was on the podium with Dave Despain. <laughs> I don't yeah, know that why cool. that just like for me was so badass for him to beat Mees, be the first to beat Mees this year when Mees was doing so well, and to do it on a mile at Springfield was just pretty pretty badass. So it, it was awesome. I I totally loved the day that that Dave Despain was there, the way he conducts an interview and the questions he asks and the way he asks the questions are just incredible. You talk about and chills, man. I, I had chills just listening to him rock that podium man. it was, it was pretty badass for sure. He's, he's incredible. I, uh, you know, I, I'll never be the best announcer in flat track. I, I, I and I'm okay with that. Cause you know, Roxy Rockwood, was well before my time, but they say that he's probably the best. I, I'd say Dave Despain is probably one of the best. Donnie Bargeman was really, really good just because everybody knows, you know, his laugh and how'd you like that half mile? And then he laughs after that. I can't really do it justice, but um, I'm okay with not being the best. I, I'll be the best that I can be, and that's good enough for me. Um, do you want to say thanks before we wrap up? You give everybody else a, a, a time to give shout outs and thank sponsors or whatever. I don't, do you have sponsors? Do you have people you want to give a shout out to? I know you have a people you want to thank, but. Well, as far as, as far as the podcast go, goes, I just want to thanks to all the fans. Um, and then as far as announcing goes, thanks for all the fans that come and find me. I've had a few people give me some gifts over the past few years I don't ask for gifts. I think it's it's great. I got a microphone necklace. I've got a bottle over there that lights up. That's got a helmet on top. Um, I got an I got a brand new Arai helmet this last weekend. That's pretty damn cool. Um, Jim and Pat Evans, uh, who sponsored me not only when I was racing, but they sponsor the podcast now. Uh, thanks to them. But as far as racing goes, you know, I uh, my whole family has been behind me 100. You know, 150 percent, especially my dad. He went with me to about probably 90 percent of my races. He was my mechanic and helped me get to the races, and then we had to help each other get home so we go back to work the next day, you know, or whatever. Um, Laurel Lake Racing um, helped me out a whole lot. I rode their bikes for a while. Speak Harley Davidson, which is now historic Harley Davidson. Uh, the 883 I rode for them is still in their museum with my number plates on it, and I think that's pretty cool. Uh, Total Performance Racers. Uh, he built the Yamaha. And I got to race in the super tracker class and it was a lot of fun. And through that, we got help from Yamaha there at the end, uh, stone age racing, my best friend, Ron stone. He's, uh, he's helped me out a lot throughout the years. Don Wood, Jim Wagner. And, uh, like I said, just all those fans out there. And, and I gotta say thanks to you, Carter, for, for believing in me <laughs> and, uh, letting, letting us, you know, do this little thing we call a podcast. Cause it takes up a lot of time and, uh, Sometimes it's not always the funnest thing that we do, but we try to have fun with it and and roll with it. Absolutely, man. No, it's been. I mean, we both said in the beginning, I couldn't do it without you. You you couldn't do it without me. I don't know if you could put this together. I couldn't couldn't put it together without the voice. So no, it's been fun, man. It's you know just try new things, see what sticks. But uh, I've had a blast so far, man. Learned learned a ton about riders and uh, had a lot of fun doing it. So. If we can do it for another forty some episodes, I want to hit a hundred though. We got to hit a hundred, so that's close to two years. So you're stuck with me for at least another four, 
four, five, six, so seven, eight months. Do we, are we are we legally married now, or nah, I think do that's I get after, after the divorce? It's after year what? seven, buddy. No, but uh, oh damn! All right, but I do talk so to don't you. Forget to, I talk to you more than what? I talk to my girlfriend some weeks though. So I don't know if that that's counts. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So also, don't forget to call in this week. Tell us what you think of the new 2019 schedule. Nine zero four three nine five five nine five six. I'm not going to share much more of my thoughts until next week. Yeah, and we talked about what we felt about last week's topic. What was your favorite memory from the 2018 season? Scotty didn't choose one. He kind of bowed out. But you I guys did. had a lot what of thought. It? Yeah, you guys had a lot of thoughts. Check them out. Hey, so hands down, the, the, the best ride of this season was uh, uh, Sites at the Buffalo Chip. He schooled them. He, ro- he rolled them all. Um, uh, amazingly talented motorcycle racer. Um, my other vote for like second place would be the Bowmans. They rode killer this year. They obviously are uh, get a taste of success, and I think they like it. So, anyway, yeah, that's my two cents. Uh, look forward to the last race. Take care, y'all. Uh, yeah, I was just calling in to say that my favorite race is always the Labor Day Springfield Mile Race. It's good racing, the fastest track on the circuit, and it's iconic. And it's a home race for me. So, thanks. Hello? 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 I, I didn't even look at the topic for this week. Uh, I don't know. Uh, incorrect. I don't like it. Okay, bye. My favorite memory from the 2018 AFP season is a toss-up between Shana Texter winning and dominating the Lima Half Mile or the Bowman Brothers 1-2 in Pennsylvania. All right, I'm going to do three. Number one, uh, we'll go going from, like, mid-pack to on the last lap, sending it in the third at Wheatsport. And then the second one can be my pass from fifth to third going into one with uh, Max, Whale, and Colby. And the third one would be bouncing off the air fence at Texas. Should have been a good time. It was. Okay, we're good. Thanks, guys. You're doing great. Okay. Yep. Yep, that's, yep, okay. All right, bye. Well, dude, that's it. Like, I'm pretty damn nervous still, and we're about an hour into this, at least. Want to do this again next week, Scotty? Yeah. Yeah? Can't wait. Okay. Next week, I'm going to be in Vegas. We got to figure it out. What are you doing in Vegas? Having fun. Oh, <laughs> nice. Scotty's going to be Free in Vegas. Free trip to Vegas. Nice. Scotty, we'll probably have to talk to you before then. Maybe put a put a few in the can. I talked to a couple of people out there in New York or New Jersey, and uh, I think we have a, some pretty interesting episodes coming up here soon. So keep you going during the off season, give you some content. That'd be great. No more surprises. Oh, there's always going to be surprises, buddy. But uh, there's only one for episode forty three. I think we I think you rocked it there, brother. That's it for this week. Boom. Who who we get to talk to next week? I don't know. We we need to talk to Jared Meese at some point. Is he on the list? Jared Meese, yeah. That's really cool. It's kind of a big deal. 